You're listening to the Finding Your Future in Food Systems podcast, hosted by the North American Food Systems Network. The North American Food Systems Network is a professional development association for people working to strengthen local and regional food systems. In this podcast, we present different businesses and organizations across Europe working to develop food systems in their communities and across the continent. In this episode, we'll be talking about Silo, the zero-waste restaurant in London, with Douglas. Our goal here is to introduce organizations that you may be able to learn from and get involved with. Now let's dive in and meet our guests. Um, yeah, my name is Douglas McMaster. I'm the father of Silo, which is the world's first zero waste restaurant, which means that we don't have a bin. Second to that, I've got a, a newish, newer, newer, newer child, uh, Silo being the older child, um, called the Zero Waste Cooking School, which is an online cooking school where we kind of think of ourselves as the sort of the the, the true voice of sustainability. Yeah. So could you go into more of what exactly is silo and what does it mean to be zero waste like there's no bin and so what kind of when you say no bin I bet a lot of people right now are thinking okay so what do I do with my trash so what does that kind of mean for silo and what's the importance of it sure we can talk a little bit about um, the language around a bin and waste Um, the semantics so a bin is a negative uh, bin uh, waste is negative waste is a dead product to be to be clear so waste lives in places like graveyards for for materials so a landfill is a graveyard of materials um a bin is a coffin for a dead materials so yeah a bin is a negative space for negative waste um now that said there are some good bins so a recycling bin is a medium, okay, not so bad bin, kind of a gray area. Some recycling bins are really wonderful. Some recycling bins are a waste of time. So that depends heavily on which country you're in, um, which borough in you're in. So in London here, there's some boroughs that are really good at recycling and some that are not so good at recycling. So moving on from the recycling bin, the really good bins are like a compost bin. That is a bin that, in my belief, shouldn't be named a bin. Should be named maybe silo. Um, <laughs> so the idea is that if it's a a vessel for a material that's reached the end of its life, that is about to go to another, go to heaven, to to be reborn into another life. That is a kind of reincarnation. That is a metamorphosis. That isn't waste. That is not a dead product. Or if it's dead, it's about to rebirth into another thing that serves um, a circular system within nature. So food waste turning into compost is a circular sort of reincarnation of a a living thing into another living thing. Um, So that's, that's a bit of like, homework on what a bin is and what waste is is so it's not waste if it becomes something else so you could say waste carrot tops are turned into pesto it was never waste because it was always just a raw ingredient for pesto um it's typically wasted but it's not waste because it's a pesto and so there's this rebirth and then it's not wasted when it's pesto because it's eaten. And then um, that invigorates us and feeds us. And if it feeds compost, then it feeds soil. So those things aren't waste. So that's sort of some 
clarity. This is my own words, my own thoughts, my own feelings. Uh, there's not too many waste philosophers in the world, but um, maybe I'm the only waste philosopher. Um, no, I'm not actually. There's a couple. Um, <laughs> but um, but no, I, and it may seem like strange to put the word waste and philosophy in the same sentence, but I actually think that it is an emerging an emerging worldview that should be taken seriously in the space of philosophy. Waste is also a very practical system. Uh, sorry, zero waste is a very practical system in which we can implement a series of actions and designs into a system to prevent waste. And that is a very literal, very real, very um, um, effective system uh, that's very serious. But then there's a certain like worldview, phil philosophical side of waste and zero waste that if you let me let me indulge for a minute, nature doesn't have a bin so in a jungle you go and there's no there's no trash can there's no um landfill um if there is there shouldn't be um if you go into the <laughs> ocean there's no plastic wrappers you know they're not eating algae that's wrapped in a plastic wrapper you know that's been delivered halfway across the ocean it's you know it's it's nature is zero waste and the idea of zero waste in human terms, philosophically, is to return to nature. So return by design to nature. We are nature. Humans are nature. You're in, the, in all the 70 trillion cells in your body, there is bacteria called mitochondria. It's a living fungus in every cell in your whole body. It's nature and it's connected to the soil. It's connected to everything. You know, we are part of this system and humans, especially in the last sort of 100 to 200 years, have seen ourselves as separate to nature. The term anthropocentric, it's like we think we're above it, we're separate from it, we're elite. And that's the biggest mistake that's ever been made in human history because it's divided us from nature and that has made us incredibly unhealthy. It's made us incredibly depressed. And it's made nature very uh, unhealthy and very depressed because the separation through the means of, say, industrialization, capitalism, money, these things that were never part of nature. You can't try and trade uh, cash with a monkey or, or an elephant. They doesn't mean anything to them. Um, these are human stories that we've curated or birthed into a lot of bad ideas a lot of bad stories and it's separating us from nature and these ideas such as industrialism it's kind of like cancer to nature if you imagine a city and industrial food systems and monocultures and plastic and polystyrene and pollution that is like cancer and that could be put under the umbrella of industrialism. And industrialism is another story. It's a human idea. It's a story we tell ourselves that we can do things more efficiently and we can uh, we can be prosperous and we can have what we want when we want it. We can have wealth and luxury and we can have tomatoes in winter and we can have pineapples in cold climate countries and, you know, we can stick thousands of cows in a shed and, you know, milk it and have it when we want it, when we want it. You know, these things are conveniences for humans and 
we think they're pros- prosperity for humans, but we're, we're learning now, and this is part of the zero waste philosophy, is that it's making us fat and depressed. You know, I'm, I'm using fat. I'm, uh, you know, um, I'll give you an example. When a cow is put in a big uh, warehouse and fed grains that are genetically modified and then injected with hormones, there is a deficiency. Those cows are not eating what nature intended. So there's this thing called calcification. And basically the the uh, what's in pasture, so within pasture, a cow eats and it eats this vitamin called vitamin K2. Now, if a human eats a dairy product from that cow or a meat product from the cow, we no longer absorb any vitamin K2. And without that in in the human body, we have this thing called calcification. So that is an example of like, we've said, oh, this story of industrialism is great because we'll get all this cow product when we want it. But then it's killing us literally with calcification. That's one of thousands of examples of how we detach from this natural system and and suffer in, in the consequences of that you know, story. So yeah, zero waste is very much a real philosophy and it is about returning to nature in those ways where we simply ask, what does nature want? Does nature want thousands of cows in a shed or does it want occasionally to have cows grazing rotationally through a biodiverse ecosystem? When there are too many cows, does nature want them to overpopulate or does nature want them to be perhaps culled, it's a nicer word than kill, and be not wasted, you know? And I think nature wants the balance of cows in that ecosystem to be uh, in balance, not overpopulated. Um, And so that is a philosophy that defines silo. And that's why we get out of bed in the morning. That is why we do what we do, because that's what we believe in. And I like to live by those, those values. Yeah. So more of a personal question is, so zero waste philosophy, how did you kind of choose to want to go down the path specifically with food and opening up a restaurant? Because, you know, maybe someone's interested in food waste and they kind of take it the corporate route of, you know, just figuring out what to do with the waste that comes from their employees from eating or something. So why did you specifically choose to go down this path with cooking? The, the the path of cooking chose me. I was a school yeah. dropout, uh, no academic qualifications, um, no uh, vigor in the academic space. And school was a mm-hmm. system that did not um, accept my brain. Uh, the way I was, the way I think didn't work with a um, conventional academic structure. And my neurodivergent the way my brain is wired was not recognized as uh, normal and those systems and so I uh, was rejected from those systems I'm speaking kind of figuratively but I just didn't do well in school basically Um, and I didn't know what to do so I started cooking well I started washing dishes and then that led to cooking so I guess I didn't ever choose to follow this path and try and, you know, change the world a little bit with a with an idea. Yeah. That was never intentional. I just became a chef because I didn't know what else to do. 
And then I realized that yeah. I really didn't like the industry because there was I was bullied. Um, the pay was so bad that I couldn't afford to, you know, I could just just survive. And I didn't see the light of day. Uh, you know, I would work 18 oh, hour man. days and I was being bullied. And there's just all these things I didn't agree with. And then over the years, yeah. the more I got into it, maybe six years in, I just saw all this waste. And I thought, I can't even afford to buy food. And they're wasting all the food. And I would like take it home to eat it, you know, to, yeah, facilitate that life. But it was wrong. It was wrong. And uh, there's just something in me that wants to rebel or to rage against the machine. Um, I felt that the system had failed me. So I was going to fuck the system. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) So what does zero waste look like at Silo? So, you know, you talked about a lot of restaurants having waste, you know, at the end of the day. So what does Silo do if there is waste? Sure. Well, waste for lack of a better term. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you, you, um, let's see. Um, So let's say that we have a system, very simple. I can Mm -hmm. say it in a sentence. Everything comes from directly from the farms or the the foraging, so it comes from nature, directly in reusable vessels. And then we cook everything uh, from scratch and we cook every part of every ingredient. We maximize those resources to minimize, you know, the the potential of waste. Um, Let's call it compost in this case. And then there's very minimal compost. There's some other materials in that system. So I don't know, like a light bulb or a, um, a, a spatula, you know, there are things you need in a restaurant, um, cups, glasses, yeah. none of those are compostable. And so we we take the minimal, we're minimizing everything. And then we have this minimal amount of waste and we find this rebirth moment of those kind of dying or dead materials. And so food waste becomes compost. An empty wine bottle mm-hmm. becomes, um, we convert that into crockery we turn wine bottles we crush them into powder and then we turn that into plates and tableware and light fittings and and so on and so we have this innovation this kind of new waste upcycling moment whether it's us in-house or in Mm -hmm. another upcycling system and so that is our zero waste system that is Mm -hmm. effective up to about 99 percent there are some other like corks uh, corks are not recyclable, not compostable, and not yet reusable. But we don't waste mm-hmm. them; we keep them. <laughs> we literally have a massive <laughs> stack of cork because we oh, haven't wow. yet found that solution. We will. Yeah. Um, that's you know that's the the ninety nine percent prevention of waste, and then that one percent corks included. We then innovate. We then isolate that material and say what does this material want to become what does a cork want to become does it want to be uh, a flooring or does it want to be the acoustic paneling maybe but we don't need acoustic paneling not not a silo because <laughs> we've got floors but um made from natural cork not not wine yeah. bottle cork yeah it's this process of asking what the material wants to become um, and it sounds silly and profound, but it, it it it's just a very logical process of elimination. What doesn't it want to become? That cork doesn't want to become compost because it's got natural glues and resins in. 
it doesn't want to become um, a sculpture because um, there's so many of them that you don't need that many sculptures. You know, what it doesn't want to become, um, I don't know, uh, uh, some sort of structure because it's not strong enough, it's too flexible. You know, so you, you say what it doesn't want and then what you find eventually is what it what it does want to become. I don't have the cork process in Copenhagen there's a company that I want to work with who turn the cork mm -hmm. they've got this machine that shreds it into like and then oh, presses wow. it and then turns it into paneling but we don't oh, have wow. that in the UK so but that's a design innovation where they've asked right what does cork want you know what's it good at and so right. yeah that's the process we then take with upcycling those yeah waste materials um the 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 surplus materials you could say that are going to be reborn into something better yeah and so are your customers aware of what's going on within silo and so you know if you just walk into a restaurant you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes is there like an educational component to silo where you walk in and you're like this is what this is this is why your food is the way it is and this is why the light looks like this and so on so on yeah, so the, the Zero Waste Cooking School that I mentioned at the beginning is a platform that I wanted to create to educate as many people as possible because the idea is what's important. I'm struggling with a cooking school to create a kind of educational structure because that's not how social media works. One day, the cooking school may become a permanent cooking school, you know, like a real uh, physical cooking school. But for now, the idea is just to spread the ideas, the way of thinking with zero waste philosophy and the yeah. ideas to, you know, change people's consciousness because people are set in an industrial consciousness. And what I'm trying to shift it to is a natural consciousness, one in which we think about nature and we yeah. do things and the respect of nature. So that's what the cooking school's for. Relative to Silo, you know, we've got a, a book, uh, the Silo book, the Zero Waste Blueprint. Um, we have a social media in which we talk a lot about the ideas. There's never enough time in the day. I always wish I could be doing <laughs> it so much better. And then really, honestly, I'm always frustrated because I'm just so busy and, and it's hard to keep a restaurant going. And, you know, for it to prosper, you need to invest so much and the industry is on its knees. The industry is so tough. Honestly, it's so yeah, tough. And then imagine. with, you know, geopolitical pressures and uh, environmental pressures, you know, the, the yeah, it's all kind of having this domino effect on yeah. running a restaurant and making it really challenging. And so, yeah, I, I really, I just want to say like what I'm doing at Silo and the cooking school is really, I'm really, honestly, I'm so bloody proud of it. I think it's really, really great. But I, I see so much opportunity to, 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 to evolve it. Honestly, it's a, like a never-ending lifetime project that can, can, can really blossom in so many different ways in, into the future. You mentioned that, you know, obviously when you have like an animal or a vegetable, you use all the pieces of the vegetable. How do you kind of combat the pre what people think about food so like for example you're using an entire say a pig some most people only want to be eating certain cuts of the pig and they find you know for lack of better word disgust that's something that I've also studied a lot is the dis the idea of disgust around food 
And so kind of how does your restaurant elevate it and kind of change the consumer narrative to encourage people to be eating the entire meal? Sure. So great question. That is a, a question that I've never been asked. And I think that is just a really wonderful psychological question. I think that, so there's this term in business called a red ocean, blue ocean business. And a red ocean is like a bunch of sharks eating each other to fight for business or fight for food in this, you know, uh, analogy. And it's a red ocean because there's blood everywhere because it's a bloodbath. They're eating each other to eat. Um, And that's what, you know, if, if you have eight pizza restaurants on the same street, they're all fighting for the same business. Um, Mm -hmm. And likelihood is one of them might die you know because there's so much competition and that sounds negative but there's actually a lot of positives to uh having a pizza restaurant or a red ocean business is that there's a lot of food there's a lot and what i mean by that is there's a lot of people that understand what it is that you're doing because it's such a dominant business model in the commercial world everyone understands pizza and there are lots of pizza restaurants there are yeah. zero, sorry, zero. There is one zero waste <laughs> restaurant called Silo. And so what that means is we're a blue ocean business because we've got no direct competition, not in mm-hmm. the kind of conceptual realm. And so we are so different. And that is uh, negative in some ways because people don't understand what the hell it is. You know, if, if yeah. you heard about a, a project or let's say... um. I don't know, there was just some new concept serving something that you didn't know what it was. I don't know, like I'm trying to think of an example now. A plant, um, a, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something stupid, but if you don't know what something is, you're not going to go there um, to experience it because you just don't know what it is. And people right. don't know what it's meant by a zero waste restaurant. Like, What does that mean? Do, do they serve waste? No, <laughs> we just yeah. don't waste food that communication isn't uh, implanted into uh, the commercial world. So we have to fight hard to survive out here on our own. And that said, and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this up is the guests that do come in and believe that what we're doing is special and they go on a journey. There is no experience like being at Silo. It's just so unique. And so the people that come in submit to that experience because there's no frame of reference there's no similar if you go into a pizza restaurant and then another pizza restaurant and you notice the slight differences between the two and you say oh i slightly prefer this one because it's got a thick crust or a thin crust or whereas with silo they've got no frame of reference which is an amazing amazing thing but i find that psychologically people let their guard down they they they, they're not defensive or they're not as critical because there's nothing to compare it to you know it is a restaurant and you can go to other restaurants but it's still so unique and don't get me wrong we do still get people coming in and writing a bad review because of whatever Mm -hmm. like that does happen we're not perfect we're human but there is a level of otherworldly abstraction to that experience and what we present and so that people stop trying to hold on to what they think they know and they they just let go not everyone but generally speaking like let go to this experience 
and just um, have a much more open mind because they sort of have to. They can't really compare it to anything they know. Yeah. And so you mentioned that, you know, Silo doesn't have any direct competitors. Are you hoping that it Silo does at some point? Not because for competition, but just because that means people are kind of catching on to this zero waste philosophy? Yeah. I'd love, I'd love like hundreds of zero waste restaurants to open and put me out of business. Let me have a break. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, fighting this fight for a decade. And I would love nothing more to than to see 10 better restaurants people doing it like it's not about if something's good or better or worse or you know that's just such a an empirical and such a um, industrialist kind of worldview to kind of rank everything and it's gross it's gross I'm I'm subject to you know that grossness myself I always find myself grading things and I'm like oh I hate when I'm I'm aware of it kind of metacognitively I'm like oh don't do that (laughs) um um, but yeah I'd love to see lots of different interpretations of zero waste restaurants and there are a few coming online Mm -hmm. my friends in Lisbon have a restaurant called Sem big shout out to them they are absolutely killing it Uh, Coratella in Sao Paulo um Mm -hmm. Nola in Helsinki so you know there are there are some people doing it it is it's not just silo in London it's just silo yeah yeah so what's kind of the impact of silo do you think in London do you think people after going to the restaurant kind of catch on to the not I don't want to say trend but you know kind of catch on to the idea of zero waste and do you think people are learning and kind of pushing for that in the city I think that what we've done is prove that it can work. I think what we've done is mm-hmm. prove that it can be sexy. And I mean that in like yeah. a broad stroke, delicious, fun, exciting, comfortable, enjoyable. You know, I just label that sexy. Yeah, I, I think it's a sexy restaurant. I do. And we've proved that a subject intimately attached to the word waste <laughs> can be sexy you know it's like when you can turn the ugliest thing you know one of the ugliest things on the planet you know the thing that we hide in behind the cupboard hide in a bin we hide in landfill you can turn that into sex appeal then you're winning you know that's a good design and we're doing that and i think that that is going to sit in whether they like us or not it's going to sit in their conscious maybe their Mm -hmm. subconscious as like oh that does work that is a thing that isn't just a trend or a fad or a, you know, um, the current status quo. It it is life. It is the future. It is, it will work and it isn't fucking Mm -hmm. the planet. You know, that's the point as we, you know, began this discussion at what does nature want? We, I know that silo is not perfect, but I know that if nature had a voice, it would say, you know, silo is pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you're doing more more than other people are in restaurants, it seems like. How difficult is it to produce your menu? Like, does it take a lot of creativity and a lot of work and hours that you put into kind of figuring out how to utilize everything? Or does it kind of come naturally to you and your team? Creativity, yeah, it's sort of, it it comes very naturally. It sort of needs, like, we can't move forward without it. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. creativity is where you often... I won't say always, but often have a dilemma, a situation that needs resolution, and you piece together the information to find a resolution. And when the variables within an environment are unique, 
the innovation, the way you piece together that innovation to find the solution is creativity. So a zero waste restaurant can't accept packaging. We don't have a bin. So we think, okay, how do we not have, I'm going back 10 years, but it's like, okay, we need milk and cream. How do we get that with no plastic? Because we don't have a bin for the plastic. Uh, How does, and then it forces you to think, okay, what, you know, milk is a wet ingredient. So we need a, a stainless steel or reusable plastic or, you know, da, da, da. so it's like, cool. Then you look, it's very practical. You look at all the options and say, these are the best options. And then you call the farmer and you say, can you put the milk in this stainless steel pail? Yeah. And the farmer says, no, that sounds like hard work. And you're like, oh, <laughs> and then you call another farmer. Um, no, no, that 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 doesn't happen. Um, they do say, yes, of course. They find it stressful yeah. because it changes their world. And that's right. the point of what we're doing. We're changing a world. We're changing a world of people all connected and mm-hmm. saying no to plastic or single-use plastic. And, and then in that environment, in that circumstance within the environment, we're like, we're not having a bin. And so we need milk in a in a way which doesn't necessitate a bin and then you just kind of think like what is a good way of getting milk in and that is creativity so that circumstance demands original thinking and original thinking sounds like a kind of creative genius sort of master plan but sometimes like i've just explained it's really basic it's like, yeah. right, we're not going to bin. We need it in. And it's like, cool, what what could milk come in? It's it's really that pragmatic. So it's not a kind of creativity isn't as magical as sometimes people think. It can be very practical. And we're in a position of endless creativity because we've mm-hmm. got endless practical challenges because no one's ever had a zero-waste restaurant in the yeah. history of the planet. Yeah, that's amazing. And so I understand that you also have an internship program. So I was hoping that you could kind of share more about that. What does that look like? And what do the interns do at the restaurant? Sure. So we do, we only do one intern a week. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes due to people desperately wanting to get in and maybe the timing's quite well. And if we've got a fully staffed team, we can take two on. And the reason I'm pointing that out is because we're very sensitive to what an intern is doing and 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 receiving from working at silo for a week or two weeks or a month we want that person to be tutored if you go to a school and pay to learn how to cook food you're giving value to the person teaching you now you come to silo and do an internship and uh you don't pay us anything we don't pay you anything but we 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 we're very conscious of giving that person a degree of knowledge that is a fair transaction for their time mm-hmm. at Silo. Right. So that's, we're very, very sensitive because there's a lot of places that take advantage of stagiaires or people doing internships. Mm-hmm. And so we take that very seriously. And having one or maybe two with a team of like eight chefs is just the right amount where we give them the, the right amount of attention. Just before this mm-hmm. uh, podcast, I was giving um, um, a tour 
uh, and a talk to a stagiaire that we've got. Uh, he's from Canada, and uh, mm-hmm. he's he's got he's a head chef and he's got his own restaurant, aspiring to be zero waste. And he's not going all in, but he's going you know eighty percent all in. Yeah, he's doing a lot, but he's still using sous vide bags, the plastic bags you cook in, and then yeah. freezing things uh, through the winter because uh, the the weather conditions. And we just had a conversation about how he could not use those sous vide bags. And so yeah. it's very, we take it very seriously and invest a lot of energy and time into those people that come. There is a fair transaction for their, their, their efforts, their energy and their work in silo. Yeah. But it's another way that we can, as a as a group, empower or the industry, I guess, or people to 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 interpret this idea, this worldview, in their own way. And again, I hope that many many more people do see that this is a a very logical way to move into the future of food. Right. A week sounds like a really short time. Is it difficult for Silo to have? one new person kind of basically to train week by week because personally I've been to silo so I know that it's kind of like an open kitchen and so having one new person a week is is that a strain on silo at all um yeah it's sometimes I actually think the balance Mm -hmm. is the other way sometimes I think that we invest a lot of energy into one or two no no I think it's, it's I think it's fine I think that um we're short staffed and we have two stagiaires the staff that are in the restaurant are running around just trying to like keep up and don't give the right amount of attention. You know, this happens rarely, but you know, again, we're human, we make mistakes and that has happened. But on the other side, we've sometimes spent 20 hours, you know, human to human teaching that intern about silo and what we do and how they could do it. And then they'll maybe only work, work, work for 10 hours. And so that, you know, there's been times where it's been out of balance, but, you know, we we, we can only do our best. Yeah. What kind of things can an intern kind of expect to do during a week at Silo? Are they going to be cooking? Will they mostly be doing prep work? Are they going to be doing like more creative mind thinking? Sure. Um, So we say that when there's two weeks and above, We'll, we'll 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 take them through the bread process. Sometimes mm-hmm. we get bakers coming in and they don't need to see the bread process. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's all kind of tailored to the person. If it's an advanced student, like the head chef today, mm-hmm. we won't show him bread because the chances are in his long career, he's, you know, up to speed with bread and you can just watch YouTube. If not, you know, there's a lot of bread tutorials on YouTube. So it's tailored to the person. But the one thing that we specialize in is fermentation. And that's something where we can give the biggest amount of power to people. Because if we can explain the kind of fundamental building blocks of fermentation, then they can take that away and they can um, evolve their knowledge of it. But we can give them those fundamental building blocks and to taste, to literally taste, because you can't taste what's in a fermentation cookbook. You can taste yeah. at silo what that process can achieve. You know, the potent you can taste the potential. And that mm. is priceless. And so fermentation is something that no one else is doing in the way we're doing it. And to that, you can do sourdough anywhere, but you can't do fermentation anywhere. So we do spend a lot of time uh revealing that process to the interns. Wow. 
So how is your fermentation different than how others are doing it? So we specialize in fermentation applied to surplus. So a lot of uh, fermentation experts will, I don't know, buy um, virgin beans, you know, like, I don't know, chickpeas or, I don't know, uh, split peas and make a miso from it. But it's a virgin product coming from a field and there's a transfer of energy. And instead of using that virgin product, we use surplus product that would have otherwise become waste. So um, waste bread, we turn into miso. Um, Buttermilk from churning butter will become a buttermilk garum. Uh, The outer leaves of a cabbage, you know, the woody outer leaves will go into lacto-fermentation and and so on and so on. And so we apply the principles of fermentation to surplus to prevent waste. That's incredible. There's so much that goes behind the scenes in silo than one can even imagine just by like having one sit down meal. I know we're running out of time. So I just have one last question to ask is that if someone is you know, interested in food systems and kind of wanting to make the leap to zero waste cooking specifically, what is your advice to them? How can they get started in that field? What can they do? How can they learn more? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I often get asked, what would you advise to, you know, reduce our impact on the environment, but to to sort of think about it in the context of like building the whole system, where to begin? Um, That's a big one. Yeah, no, it's great. I love it. Um, I think that see having okay, designing from perspective. And what I mean by that is having a very clear motivation, a very clear goal. And mm-hmm. like mine was what is waste? How did it get there? And how do we get rid of it? That was a sort of three triangle questions of, of, of zero waste trying to achieve that system and it's having that kind of clarity of like this is our goal this is our mission this is our this is our challenge and when you have that crystal clear motivation you can design from that crystal clear motivation so it's like waste is bad uh, waste is a symptom of a system that is out of balance a system that is unsustainable. And so where sustainability exists, waste mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Or the the generally speaking, the less waste, the more sustainable, generally speaking. And it's realizing that humans are the reason waste exists. It's our responsibility to design it out of the planet. It's yeah. it's understanding that in non-zero waste systems, um, those systems pollute and to destroy the planet and destroy our health. Yeah. So there is that motivation to create a circular food system uh, that doesn't have a bin. And it's like just being absolutely crystal clear with the motivations. Another one could be you're opening a bakery and you want to go zero plastic or mm-hmm. zero single use plastic. And um, it's just having that very clear goal and motivation and designing from that and designing from before if you try and design zero waste into a system that already exists it's much harder than designing zero waste into a fresh system you almost need to deconstruct the system to reconstruct a zero waste system so if you have um occupying a new restaurant space or a bakery or a cafe or whatever and there's nowhere to put 
stainless steel pails for the milk to come in maybe reconstruct the whole structure you need to design from a kind of blank canvas where possible and then if not then you sort of innovate around the problem yeah it's um having a very clear perspective of your goals and your mission yeah perfect thank you so much now i feel inspired to kind of figure out where i can reduce my waste in my personal life because Absolutely. i don't have a business yeah. <laughs> well that's our episode thank you so much for listening to the finding your future in food systems podcast and thank you so much douglas for sharing more information about silo you can find them on social media if you'd like to keep in touch and you can find us at foodsystemsnetwork.org where you can find all of our social channels if you're interested in being featured on the podcast or know an organization that would be, please feel free to email us at kim at foodsystemsnetwork.org. We'd like to give a special thank you to the composer of our intro and outro music, Bo Vincent. And thanks again for listening and see you next time. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. All right. Godspeed. Goodbye. Goodbye.